At the dawn of the 20th century, America was a country full of promise and hope for many. Black Americans faced a different reality, a nation separate and unequal. Yet their hope persisted. Pained by inequality, but inspired by resilience, writer and civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson put pen to paper. His words would become a unifying call, a hope for a brighter tomorrow, a timeless exhortation to lift every voice and sing. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the forces that want to take us back to another place. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward. Right. That's absolutely right. We are moving forward. And this is indicative of our move. This is proof we are moving forward. Good evening, folks. This is ITRN Radio, and it is a pleasure to bring to you the panel that will talk about where we are going genealogy, the struggle, what white supremacy has done, and what we're moving forward doing. It's time for unraveling the damage white supremacy has done in search of our African roots. It's time. It's time. So you are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network, and it is my pleasure, our pleasure, to bring to you Dr. Maurice Franklin and his panelists. We've got a great show for you this afternoon. You can get us on YouTube. You can get us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. This is going to be exciting. 
you want to join us. And you can do that by dialing 682-710-1101-682-710-1101. And you are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. We're going to bring to you a few more of the wonderful, wonderful Black music. And this is Black Music Month. This is Juneteenth. And what a better way to recognize, commemorate, celebrate, and bring it to you. There's no better way. This is the way. So keep it locked right here to itrnradio.com. Let's take it away. We've got more music, and we will be bringing you Dr. Maurice Franklin at the top of the hour, folks. Stay tuned. The blackness. Keep it, keep on. The 37th Annual Kingdom Day Parade is on Monday, June 20th at 10 a.m. till 12 noon to coincide with the national holiday, Juneteenth, also known as Jubilee Day, National Independence Day, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, and Black Independence Day. The parade will begin at Western Avenue and King Boulevard, travel to Crenshaw Boulevard South to Lamert Park for the Juneteenth celebration. The Kingdom Day Parade is the longest-running MLK parade in the country and getting bigger and stronger and better every year. This year's Grand Marshal is Congresswoman Karen Bass. The parade was inspired by legendary music mogul Stevie Wonder, who also campaigned all over the country in 1982 to create a national holiday in the name of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The Grand Marshals in the past have been Vice President Kamala Harris, Mayor Eric Garcetti, the Jackson Five, Chief Bernard Parks, Senator Diane Watson, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and the former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa and former Governor Jerry Brown, and also the pennant-winning Los Angeles Dodgers' Dave Roberts. The parade has been a staple in Los Angeles since 1983. The parade will be televised by ABC Channel 7 and hosted by Leslie Sykes and Rachel Brown. They will provide the live broadcast of the Kingdom Day Parade. This is our 37th year of the parade in the City of the Angels, Los Angeles. Join us, be there, and celebrate Juneteenth with the 37th annual Kingdom Day Parade. Dr. Maurice Franklin here on Intentional Talk Radio Network. And we are so happy and I'm so delighted to be able to bring you this amazing panel discussion as we focus on unraveling the damages of white supremacy in search of our African roots. What a better way to do this than on the eve of Juneteenth as we think about and honor of the sacrifices of our ancestors who bled, died, unrewarded, but 
had hope and a vision that the brighter day would come and that we would, uh, that their ancestors would, would benefit from all of the pain and suffering that they endured at the hands of white supremacy. Again, I'd like to thank our showrunner for such wonderful music that we've had this evening. I hope that all of you out there have been enjoying this music. Uh, my heart is just warmed from, oh my goodness, uh, Frankie Beverly, um, Alicia Keys, and the National, Negro National Anthem talking about hope on top of hope, the struggles of our ancestors, but we still had hope. Uh, John Lewis talking about good trouble. Uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. I couldn't think of a better way to start Juneteenth. Uh, as I think about it, Juneteenth is a requiem and a celebration for the descendants of formerly enslaved Blacks. And then I say to myself, how can you truly celebrate Juneteenth? I'm talking about rape and torture and the separation of generations and the families and the inhumanity and the self-serving brutality of the supremacist. But then I think about that and then I read this passage from um, Ralph Ellison. He says, we were owned and faced with the awe-inspiring labor and transforming Okay, Dr. Franklin. Okay, yeah. you froze for a second. You froze. Can you start over? I sure can. Okay, Again, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much uh, for this wonderful introduction to music. And I, I hope that everyone heard, but I will re I'll say this again. I want to talk about Juneteenth as a requiem and a celebration for the descendants of slaves and formerly enslaved Blacks, our ancestors. How can you truly celebrate rape, torture, the separation of generations and families, the inhumanity and, of course, the self-serving brutality of the white supremacists? And then I say the words of, of Ralph Ellison when he, in, 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 his, in his book, 1989, Juneteenth, he says, we were owned and faced with the awe-inspiring labor of transforming God's word into a lantern so that the darkness we know where we were. He's saying that we were given this darkness, but, but with some light. And at some point, you know, that we were shining through. He says, oh, God hasn't been easy with us because he always plans for the looming hall. He's looking far ahead. So even though there's this train trial and tribulation, he wants us to be well-tested, tested people to work testing us against the rocks and in the fire. He's going to plunge us into the ice of cold water. So there's fire and then there's, there's this cold water. And then in time we will come out in the blue and as tough as cold and blue steels. Ah, uh, yes, he means for us to know that a new kind of human, maybe we won't be the people, but we'll be part of the people. We will be the element, that element that is part of the people. And then he says, amen. And I say that, through the trials and tribulations, and I say this in the same words of, of my dear friend, friend in my head, James Baldwin. He says, to be a Negro in this country is to be relatively conscious and in a state of rage almost all the time. Almost all the time. I told my mother today as, as I was preparing for this and talking about hope and, and joy, and I always talk to my mother about hope and joy. I'm so glad to be you know, in the realm and have, have just living ancestors and living relatives, elders, and talked about hope and joy. But I also said, even in that, we're constantly in the mix of having to make decisions that we shouldn't have to make. And in that sense, it's just this internal rage that causes us to have to make these kinds of decisions we shouldn't have to make as, 
free people and it's free black people. So again, I want to thank everyone. Uh, thank the, our host and sponsor and, and, uh, Miss Williams. I want to thank you so much for allowing us, uh, to take over. And I think we're going to do that in a few minutes. We're going to take over, but to take over and talk about, you know, a little bit about Juneteenth, which I've shared. And then I'm going to bring in, you know, some dear friends who I couldn't even imagine on the, my first, um, podcast uh, that I would want to bring anyone else on than David F. Taylor and Charles Ball. And so I want to say a little bit about them first, and then I want to, um, we'll start this conversation. And we hope that all of you that are out there, we're certainly going to be talking about genealogy and family history and sharing some of our stories of family members that we found throughout our own research and we really want to just kind of lure you in. If you've not done your own personal uh, family history, we hope, I hope that uh, what comes from this is sort of that invigoration of that fire uh, within you to want to know more about your ancestors. Uh, I, I believe that there is a, a real connection between identity, self-esteem. It's connected. Uh-oh. Dr. Franklin froze. Everyone froze. Okay. Okay, Dr. Franklin, you have frozen. Okay, he's going to have to. He might have to. He might have to log off and start all over again. And what I'm going to do now is defer to David Anthony Taylor, who can pick up because Dr. Franklin is frozen. So if you could pick up and continue going and talking about both of you, Charles Ball and David Anthony Taylor, you can begin talking about genealogy, where we're going, uh, Juneteenth and how all of this ties in and, and just give people a thought or two about the direction of the conversation. So let's start with uh, David Anthony Taylor. Hi. Um, Tell us a so little I, bit about yourself and then let's start. Okay, so I'm David Anthony Taylor. Uh, I use my whole name because David Taylor is such a generic name. So if you try to look up David Taylor, you find thousands of them. Um, I'm retired military. I've been retired for 20, 20 years now. Um, so I started genealogy just because I was home bored, didn't have anything to do. And I had Windows 3.1. That's how <laughs> it was so long ago. And um, so I found maybe, I think I found my grandmother, my grandfather, and that was it. And so I actually, I was in North Carolina at the time and I returned to Michigan after I retired and two of my relatives came over. They were actually dating. I did not and I just, you know, when you see a person as a child, you know, little kids, you just know their faces, but they were so much younger than I was. So as um, I was like, I know this little girl, I know her from somewhere. And then I came to find out when I, I started asking, I said, who is your family? You know, what are some of your people's names? And so as she was telling me, and I was like, you two are cousins. But by that time, they, they had fell in love. They thought they... They were in love, you know, they were still, they were probably like 20 years old, but they're in love and she was pregnant. So then it was like, okay, now I need to really start sharing 
information about my family, who their connections are, so that this won't happen again. Because they actually lived in the same town, the same city, you know, different size of town, but because we weren't having family reunions and, you know, when when I was growing up, the elders in our family, they kept our family close together. But as I started growing up, the family just started, you know, separating, doing their own thing. This side of the family will do what they want to do. And it just kind of spread everybody out. There wasn't a, a really a family cohesiveness. So um, I started doing genealogy, started asking my mother questions because when I was growing up, We've never asked any questions about our ancestors and they didn't offer any suggestions. They never offered it either. They were, you know, the older fam, the older members of my family, they kind of just kept things to themselves. They didn't really tell us any information. And if they did start talking about it, they tell us to leave because it's grown spoke business. So we didn't ever get any information. I didn't get any family history. So I just started doing my research and. I came to find out that the information that my mother, thank God, she kept a lot of documents that was passed down to her. And I was able to build my research off of that. Um, well, I see Dr. Franklin's back now, Franklin is but back. it does look yes. like I'll let him go ahead and pick up from there and then I'll keep We going. did a little switching. I switched a little technology. So I hope that, that, that we're going to be uh, okay for the rest of the night. So again, thank you, uh, uh, David, for jumping in. I, I, I don't know the question that was asked, but I'm going to just uh, uh, spread it around just a little bit. And um, David, what did you know? You said you didn't know anything about your family uh, past how many generations? Did you know your great-grandmother, your grandmother? How far yeah. back did you know before you started doing research? Just my grandmother. Because all my grandparents had already passed before I was born, except one, and that was on my father's side. But my research is mainly on my mother's side. So I found more information on that side. So, so David, let's pick up on, I mean, Charles, let's pick up on that and tell me, when did you uh, be, uh, become interested in searching for your family history? Well, um, I actually have always been somewhat fascinated by, um, uh, I guess, just uh, history in general. But uh, like they uh, stated before, they... Uh, now my mother would talk a lot about uh, her her childhood and everything that she could remember. But my grandmother, she was just uh, she was very tight lipped about her uh, her people, where they came from. And now, as I was telling you all yesterday, she you know, she lived to be a hundred and eight years old. And just think about everything that she took 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 to grave with her. All that information, and uh, and I know that there are probably good reasons why they did not want to talk about some of those things. I would find out later after I actually started doing research. I had a um, an aunt uh, was one of my mother's sisters that was uh, she she started the genealogy research in our family, and she was sort of the um, uh, hidden figures type. Uh, she was a bookworm. Uh, she majored in, in math and statistics, uh, out at Wayne State, you know, in Detroit for, you know, for years. And when she passed away in 2013, I, I, I knew that somebody had to pick up the pond and, and I was the most logical candidate. So I joined uh, Ancestry and my ex initial experience was very much like David's. Uh, I actually, I could find a couple of my grandparents, but I actually, I, I couldn't even find myself on there. I guess the, the databases were not interconnected enough uh, back then, but I went back a couple of years later 
and it, it was a lot more uh, fruitful. Fruitful. Um, I do. I remember my my maternal, um, my my mom's, uh, well, my, gra- my maternal grandfather's father, and then my maternal grandmother's um, mother. But the I think the other grandparents or great grandparents had uh, had had passed away before I was old enough to, to know about them. Um, when I was growing up, my mother used to tell a story about when she was a little girl, she would, uh, her mom would ask her to write letters, well, her aunt would ask her to write letters to relatives in Oklahoma. And, but when she, she did not know, you know, how they got to Oklahoma. We had, I, nobody had any clue as to how Oklahoma came, came to, our people ended up out there, and through ancestry, actually found out that um, my grandmother's people came out of Marengo County, Alabama. And in 1909, they had a Rosewood, uh, Tulsa Greenwood type event, and uh, much of the black community was burned down. And they basically fled for their lives overnight to Oklahoma. Because apparently they had, uh, had relatives in the Creek territory and they went there to basically disappear and get away from the, from the mob. And, uh, they settled in the Bowley, Oklahoma area, which is southwest of Oklahoma City. And I was just embarrassed to, to not, not have any clue about that ever happening. You know, you know, uh, this is not something my grandmother spoke with, spoke about, uh, no one, no one else in the family had ever heard of that and so that's how so many of my, my people ended up in the middle of the country and then eventually you know in places like California and surrounding states. Charles you know what's interesting about your comment is that in the reverse I could say you know coming from Oklahoma well same that I come from Oklahoma but but really you know we're coming from eastern eastern part southeastern part of the United States you know Anderson Pendleton area, South Carolina, Virginia, you know, uh, Mobile, you know, parts of the South, that even um, relatives in Oklahoma, if you tell them now that we have relatives in other states, other parts of the country, they say, well, I don't know nobody over there. It's because, you know, sort of the what the impact of institutional racism has done to us. Uh, for a long time, I had cousins, first, second or third cousins, you know, we're living in the same neighborhood the same part of uh, two blocks apart and you know because it was second or third you know sometimes we would say well that don't count and and for me that was a hurtful comment um but understanding what i do the more i understand um sort of the history of you know internalized self-hate and the impact of slavery i can say okay well it makes more sense to me now and it, it, but it feels very different when you're a kid when you hear when you hear those kind of comments. Did did was there? How has other members of your family? For this is for Charles and David. How many? How have members of your family responded to sort of your interest and passion around? And talk a little bit about um, your research. I mean, you know, Charles and and David both are probably holding their cards right now. But they, you know, the, the, their research has just uncovered, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of, 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 you know, DNA connected relatives, uh, you know, probably from Africa to Canada and other parts of the, 
you know, the, the, the globe. So talk a little bit about, you know, the depth of what you've, what you've learned as you've done your search. David, let's start with David and then we'll, and then we'll open it back up for you, Charles. Well, um, when I first started doing my research, I was wondering, why does everybody have all this information and I can't find nothing? Everyone goes, oh, go to this site and you'll be able to find, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to go to a website um, on Ancestry and click on my grandmother's name and boom, she's there because everyone else has a thousand people in their tree. And I have like the commercials. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. So it didn't matter what I was doing. Every time I would try to find a record, someone would be like, I just went to there and boom, I found the record. Never worked for me. So I just kept picking away and then I learned. And what I did was I went to um, about a year or so ago. Um, it was actually during COVID, I believe. Um, I had always been researching by myself. And so I would try to, uh, the things I was doing, I didn't know if I was doing them right or if I was doing them wrong. And so a family member said, you should join um, Dr. Shelly Murphy's uh, Friedman Friday Zoom meeting. I had no, I was like, I've never joined Zoom. I've never used Zoom. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. But she encouraged me, like, you've got to go. And so once I went to that Zoom meeting, there was people in there that, you know, oh, this person written a book on this. This person's giving a talk on this. And they were, this person going to this university to talk. And I was like, man, you know. I am not at their level. <laughs> I'm not even close. They're all just like so far ahead of me. I was like a kid, but thank God Dr. Shelley took to me. <laughs> so we have a really great relationship and then come to find out that she's my cousin too. And she's and my more cousin. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, through joining that, I found a ton of cousins. Um, I found a lot of different um sites that I can go to, they basically teach you a lot because it's not, when you're trying to find an ancestor and you're doing it by itself and you don't know all the tools, and when you have 20 or 30 people saying, hey, you got a brick wall, we're all going to jump in and help you together. And so you learn a lot that way. And Dr. So, Mer so, 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 so David, just before you, I'm going to go to continue, but I just want to talk about some records. I'm going to throw some, some terms out or some sites and tools. You mentioned records. And, and while you mentioned records, I just want to talk about in each of the states, there may be a historical uh, society, you know, for your state, and there are archive, archival records for your state, perhaps at universities or colleges, or even within the, the state records, there's the census records. And then as you get back uh, before uh, 1900, there are other types of documents. And so you can, David, you can continue, but I do want people to know that there are, there are some tools out there. Um, in terms of uh, the types of documentation people can begin to search for and looking for their family. Yeah, and speaking of some of the different tools, can I share my screen? Yes, you sure can. No, it says I can't. I can't share it. Okay, you will be, we'll continue talking, we'll let you share your screen. Uh, okay. Charles, do you? All right, the reason why I was gonna do this because I was just gonna show you guys, because a lot of times, um, like I was saying before, I was learning uh, trying to teach myself a lot of stuff about genealogists, but people like Nika Smith, she has so much information out there teaching you about like the Patriots group. There's, there's different, um, she teaches different skill levels. I mean, it doesn't matter. People come in there and you think that, you know, 
I'm just learning to research. I don't know anything. So they basically start from the bottom and you work your way up, you know, and then she's got so many different things and there's videos out there. There's a lot of tools that people from um, people of color can use to help find our ancestors because a lot of people will say, well, I want to just find my native. People will take their DNA test. They've told me they've taken their DNA test just to see how much Indian they have in them. And then they won't, if they don't have any, they just kind of leave it dormant. It just leaves there. Hmm. And, I, and I say, well, you know, they're like, well, I want to know how much money I'm going to get. And I say, well, you do know that there's people that are Native Americans that live on reservations where there's some don't have running water. They may not have electricity. The crime rate is outrageous. And they're probably 100% or 99.9% Native American. And you're maybe 0.2% or 2%. And you think that you're going to get all this income and they're not. So then they're kind of like, okay, yeah, you're right. So then they'll just give me their DNA kit. Say, you just manage it because I'm not interested anymore. So people take their DNA kits for all different reasons. You never know. But uh, go ahead. David, I was going to tell you that um, I actually ran into a couple of ancestors in Alabama that applied to join the, I think, Mississippi Band of Creek Indians, and their applications were rejected. And I've just been just dying to hear the backstory to those to those applications. <laughs> uh, the fact that you know they so so. You know, they just didn't have enough. Um, and so what was, well, it's, and, it's, and, they, not, and they, not, they didn't have the scenos back then. So, uh, but, but it's not, but it's really even not about that, uh, Charles and David. It's, um, really about the sort of the, so that in terms of the, and this is really getting in the weeds. I don't want to get too far down here because I want to make sure we're giving everyone the right tools, but, but it's not just about blood quantum and, and, the, and the tribes. It's really about being able to show your ancestry and that your ancestor was, a, a part of the tribe prior to certain years. And so I know that some of that is political. It is a, sort of a political construct around identity because there were people that perhaps may not have had any blood quantum, but were very active and had been enslaved by those tribes and shared uh, both the culture, identity, the language, and, and they have that shared history. So for to me, whether they had blood or not blood, uh, those enslaved were members of those tribes. They were property and then uh, married and and have children, and so there are a lot of political reasons why people don't have uh, a lot of and, and, and racism of, of reasons why some 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 members who were can show lineage and 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 and, and enslavement by those tribes. So it's not just as simple as two percent or three percent, David. A quick, a quick question um, to you, Charles, and and Marine, you mentioned Moringo, but talk about um, your sort of the, the how many how many ancestors have you uncovered through your DNA research? Well I have sixty two thousand individuals on my tree. And and tell me what some of those names are for, for our listeners who are out there. Oh, oh, okay, so um I'll start with the so we have my, my mother grandmother's family, the Lilies, um a lot of well, a lot of the Marengo County families originated in, in North Carolina. We had Lilies, uh, Glass, Craig, uh, Hildreth, um, Anderson, and actually I've, I've noticed a lot of the, the Creek territory were also Anderson, so I don't, I don't know where it started here or started, that name started there, but it's a very common name. On the father's side, 
uh, Holmes, Ball, um, Moore, and uh, I, 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 um, Lucas, and, and just a whole, a whole lot more. And have you identified any uh, African ancestry? One hundred percent African ancestry. Yes, part of the, on the continent. Yes, on my mother's side, her um, her the Prentice family. Uh, on her side, there's the Prentice family, the Pattersons, and the Lillies. And the Prentices, there's a, the matriarch of, of uh, on that family. He was he was from Africa. His name was Emmanuel Prentice. Um, you know what country or what, what part of the country? Uh, it, it, it doesn't say, and I, I have yet to find find one that actually says what part of Africa that, that uh, ancestor came from. But um, so we have some questions. From, from we have two questions that I want to ask. One of the questions is um, when people submit DNA to research uh, genealogy, that information is passed along to the FDA and the CDC and. To, to by everyone except AfricanAncestry.com. Why is it that the and okay, so that's the first question. So let's let's uh, let's take that question first. The question is why when people submit their DNA for research, uh, their genealogy, that the information is passed along to. Uh, they're, they're, so they they think that they, they, this person is asking is if their DNA is passed on to the FDA and CDC. So I have not heard uh, that um, as a as a matter of fact, and so that that may be, and I've not heard any other researchers talking about uh, Federal Drug Administration or the Centers for Disease Control as a repository for any of those test kits. Uh, does any, has anyone else heard that? No, I haven't heard that. I know that's a fear. That's, that's, a, that's a little fear from the start that it would be used that way, but I, I don't have any way of, I don't, don't have enough information to Okay, so we so we don't we don't really have a, we can't we can't answer that question. We don't we don't have an answer on that. We don't, uh, and perhaps that could possibly be, but we don't know. But I would just I think that's an urban myth. So I, I'll just go ahead and say that I've not heard that, but I do believe that's an urban myth. Uh, the next question is, why is it that a female can trace her mother's side using her own DNA, but cannot trace her father's lineage without submitting male DNA who's related to her father? Yet apparently a male can trace his, both sides of his parents through a DNA kit. So, so uh, we're not geneticists. Uh, not all three of us are family researchers, uh, and we do participate in a lot of groups. Uh, and I actually participated in a group last night. We we're talking about X and Y chromosomes. So that is uh, a lot more advanced for this specific group. We're not. Uh, we're. I'm a researcher, but uh, but not a, a geneticist. So that's not my field of expertise. But we're here to talk about um, general. Our general personal family searches. Uh, that is a great question. Um, I'm not sure who asked the question, but that's a great question. And if you're interested, there are a lot of um, genealogy groups that are that are very active, both on Facebook and on Clubhouse, and and there's just a, a variety of ways that you can get involved and perhaps get that quite both of those questions answered. And, and uh, Charles, you could. Yeah, David? I was saying also with the women, you carry the X chromosome and with the men, they carry the X and the Y chromosome. So they have more, they'll probably have more matches than a female. I could be wrong, but I know for sure that women carry, you're not, with women, you don't have the, the Y chromosome. With men, the Y chromosome, you can, they can trace it. Like I have my father's DNA. I have his father, it's passed from father to son. 
So I have my father's DNA. I have my grandfather from the Y chromosome. It passes down from father to son. So let's say my fourth great grandfather DNA, his Y chromosome DNA is passed down to my third great grandfather, then to my second great grandfather, then to my grandfather, my father, then myself. It never changes. But women, you would not, um, you don't, you do not get the Y chromosome. Hey, Good answer. Uh, Thank you. Maurice, one of the things I wanted to mention was that so far I have my, my research has been limited to uh, Ancestry.com. But uh, I know a lot of people uh, spend a lot of time on JetMatch uh, where you can actually just look at individual strands of DNA for, you know, DNA kits and, and compare the, I guess, see where the common Places are on DNAs to determine you know, what, what families are you closer to versus others, and and I have not I have not uh, committed to devoting the time to to uh, delve more into that um, so far, but I, but it is on my list. I do I do want to learn how to master that. As well. So that I mean that certainly is a commitment, and 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 for me, I, let me just I started um, this journey as a sort of a what I would call family researcher. About 18 months ago, I mean, before that, I was relying on sort of the paper trail that my mother had collected in the census. She was collecting census records and DOS census records and the roles. And so my mother had been doing and has these binders of documents. And and I finally decided to do the test. I took this test uh, almost two years ago in October. Uh, no, in, in the spring of last year, I took the test. I started doing the research using Ancestry without the test. Um, and joined a couple of groups on Clubhouse. And uh, David was a part of that group. Um, Charles and I have been friends on LinkedIn and Facebook um, uh, for years. <laughs> and, and and when that test came back, you know, I, what I learned was many of those individuals that, that was part of Clubhouse uh, genealogy room, all of a sudden these are my cousins. Hey, Dr. Mo, you, you, we're related. And uh, and the same thing happened with David. I think two days after my test results came back, he um, texted me and said, "You know, we're cousins." And of course, I think Charles. I don't know if you called me or uh, you might have uh, linked, uh, sent me a message on LinkedIn. But I, 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 from my experience, and of course, I don't have as many records as the two of, the two of you guys. But what I, I have come to believe is that there's no there's no mistakes, and that perhaps these patterns that we have been um, sort of moving around in uh, is definitely certainly related to our ancestry that we have um, are we doing what our ancestors in terms of those patterns so it's no wonder that you know we've met each other we were supposed to, to meet each other and uh, and so for so I have started to learn a little bit about you know the jet match that you mentioned which is a test that looks at both uh, Y and X chromosomes, and it's able to sort of tell you who else you're related to based on, you know, uh, you know these segments within your chromosomes and your DNA. It's, it's, it sounds complicated, but if, as you, as I begin to dig into it, it really it gets exciting. So, you know, when I um, have a relative that I've connected with on on that particular with that particular tool, it allows me to know not only that we're related, but our common ancestor, whether it be a male or female. So. That, so to me, that is an advanced tool. Um, I would suggest individuals that are, if you're curious and you've taken the test, um, 
that you share, you know, share, find someone if you don't, if you're not comfortable, if you don't want to do the research, find someone in your family who is, that wants to be the sort of repository, you know, the collector of the family history so that we can pass this information on and share it. You know, one of the reasons I have an account and that it's open for my family members to see is that, you know, when I'm no longer here, that somebody else won't have to start from scratch trying to, you know, create these records. And so the, so that if we all work together collectively, we can begin to really unravel, you know, what I call sort of this damage of, you know, white supremacy. Why is it I have cousins all over the United States, you know, from New York City, Long Island, you know, throughout the entire eastern seaboard, Marengo County, Chambers County, Alabama, all up in Wisconsin where David is. And, you know, I would say, well, I don't know anybody up there, but clearly, you know, my DNA uh, my ancestors' DNA is is all over this country, you know, as a result of you know, you know, travel, you know, uh, movement for for safety uh, and the brutality of of institutional racism. So, um, for me, it's a passion. Um, uh, you know, hearing my ancestors' voices when I was two and three years old, those great grandparents uh, uh, sitting at cemeteries and hearing those stories. Uh, and now feeling like, you know, as I get into the next chapter of my life, how how I pass this information on, you know, I want to know that my nieces and nephews or their children or my second and third cousins who have children that they that they may not have that passion right now about family history, and I, I, I don't, and I'm not I, I, at some point they will want to know more, and so I want to be able to have a record to document someplace that that they can share. So there are several tools. There's Ancestry, there's African ancestry, there's um, GEDmatch. There are so many different tools that, that uh, and tests that you can take um, to, to find out more about your ancestry. In December of this year, I, I found my first uh, 100% uh, African match. They haven't communicated with me yet, <laughs> Charles or David. I sent them emails, but. But I do know that, you know, that, that I found an, someone who lives on the continent that's, you know, 100% uh, Nigerian. And so, I, and it's, and it's the, the, according to the, de- the data, it suggests that, that we're seven generations removed. And, you know, if you understand, you know, sort of the, uh, the generations, that's not really that far. You know, that's not, that's somewhere, uh, you know, between 1800 and 1820, maybe. So, uh, so that's not really that far, <laughs> you know. So that's the, for me, what the passion is about research or research and, and family ancestry. Let's keep this moving. Um, uh, David, um, talk to us about the Carters. Well, my mother, well, my grandmother was a Carter. She was, um, her name was Sally Mae Carter, and her father's name was Willis Carter. And um, Willis, his mother was named Sophia Carter, and she was a slave, and so was Willis. But the person that owned her name was Oliver Battle. And Oliver Battle, they were, they had plenty of slaves, the Battle family. So his grandmother name was Sarah Ruth Brown. Now, she first married Jesse Battle, and when he she had children with him, and then when he died, she married Isaac Carter, 
which of course that's also President Carter's grand fifth great grandfather. We share the same grandmother, but different grandfathers. But the thing is, is that the first set of children with women, a woman can have five children by five different men. All those children are brothers and sisters. If one of the fathers has a child with another woman, that's their half sibling. That's what we say. Women just got lucky that way. So half of her children were Carters, half of her children were Battles, but they named their children after each other. And so a lot of the slaves, some of them were actually carried the Battle name and some carried the Carters name. And they would enter, you know, they would, if one, if an uncle passed away, then if he didn't have any children, all of his slaves would go to his nephews and nieces. And if she's married, to a, a Johnson, then those slaves' last name could change to Johnson, but they could actually start it off as Carters, if that makes any sense. It makes sense. So, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so a lot of times the um, people will will find someone that we're related to, like you and I. We know, and we're closely related, but we just can't find that common ancestor. So we just have to keep digging little by little and, and actually start looking at the, the locations. Like, where were your third and fourth great-grandparents in 1820? And then I have to find out where mine is. And we just have to keep comparing because people don't realize that, of course, you've got two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 second great-grandparents, and it just keeps doubling you know, and so when you start thinking about it, you're like, wait, when I get to my third or fifth great grandfather, I could have 64 grandparents. But when you're looking at your tree, you may only have six different grandparents in there because for people of color, we can only go so far, you know. And, and, and what, what I found is a lot of people, they don't like to talk to the, to the white family members, you know, and I tell them, say, you know, when you're on ancestry in, I don't believe there's one person of color that looks on their DNA if they're taking the DNA test that there's they don't see a white family member. And I tell them, hey, you know, if they can if you can see them, then they can see you too. <laughs> you know, you're on their their ancestry. And, and what do they think about that? Well, they the don't I guess they think about think. the trauma. Right. Well, <laughs> it's, trauma. It's, it's trauma. It's traumatic. Well, no, not, that's not all the time because I've reached out to a lot of my white family members. I see one of them in the room right now. And actually she reached okay. out to me because she's like, we're cousins. Hey, and, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and we are, um, we're close. You know, we share information and a lot of people, they, they have a fear of reaching out. But some of my white family members that I've contacted, and once we share DNA and I say, hey, you know, um, we compare our DNA. One family member, we knew who our common ancestor was. <laughs> my, my, my mother's great-grandfather was her second great-grandfather. And we knew we had a common, um, we knew we had a Native American ancestor through all the paperwork and everything else. So once we compared our DNA, we knew what we were looking for. We knew we were going to find the white ancestors and we were going to find the Native American ancestor. But we were both surprised when we found that it wasn't a Native American ancestor that we shared. It was someone with African descent. So it was like, well, wait a minute. She was supposed to be Native American according to all the stories, but because it was so large amount of African DNA, 
we knew that one of our ancestors were um was black and so she had gotten you know really quiet for a time period and i was asking you know are you okay like you know i didn't know she you know was taking it well and she had explained to me that she had grown up as a white person a white christian and you know that's how she lived and her whole family's all white and she's like i'm as pale as you can get and she said, you know, for the first time in her life, her life has just changed because she herself realizes that she has an ancestor that was sold into slavery. So, David, you know, we've had this conversation many times. Uh, and so, and, that, and I <laughs> appreciate that story. And you're smiling and you know where I'm going with this. But, you know, there have been some, and, and, you, and you're not participating in this, and with, even with some of my ancestors, you know, we identify the Shearer family out of, you know, out of Pendleton area of South Carolina. And we start to send emails out. They've got a nice little book and coat of arms and all of this history that goes back to the 16th century in Scotland and Ireland. And, and we emailed a few people asking for information. I think we had one or two. They could confirm, you know, what we, what we had identified in the sense of my fifth great grandmother, you know, Di- you know, Diana Prince. But all of a sudden, you know, those people that we were emailing, uh, they, I've, they, I've been blocked. <laughs> you know, I've been blocked. But, but, you know, the Shearer family keeps showing up every time one of them has, <laughs> you know, they show up as a new match for me, you know, all of, throughout the South. So I, you know, I think we, if you're, you know, if you're going to do it, you have to be prepared for both, you know, the rejections, you know, Charles gets rejections for people who look just like us and for, Every once in a while, you know, the celebration of someone who feels sort of the pain and the trauma of learning that their family members were uh, enslavers, you know. And so you're right. You know, most of us probably have somewhere uh, north of, you know, 66 percent. I've, I've seen a few who have less than that, but but 66 or, you know, percent African descent. Um I remember last year I was telling you I was so happy because I was closer to 91%, you know, and so I was really happy about that. And so, uh, and so with the native in there, that made it 94. So I, was, I counted that, but, but, you know, but, that, but, you know, the trauma of learning that, you know, we've heard stories about our, you know, our family identity and we've known that, you know, we were, you know, uh, or certainly those of us in Oklahoma knew how we got here, uh, you know, through the, the, what they call the trail of tears and the removal of, Native Americans from the Southeast, but, you know, it's hard to think back for some of us a hundred years and that, you know, or 150 years that uh, our ancestors, the third great grandparents were slaves. They were born into slavery. And, and that's something that some people just don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about uh, that, or they think that, oh, we, we were well kept, massively took good care of us. And uh, we were, um, fed and clothed and, you know, master took good care of us. But, but that's so far from the stories that I've read. Um, I, I have a, a great aunt, um, a, a, that was moved from, uh, from Pendleton County area of South Carolina all the way to uh, Claiborne Parish in, in uh, Louisiana. And in the oral history that was written in, um, in the 18, in the 1900s, she talks about 
being enslaved and coming home uh, and that the slave master's daughter, David, you read this story, it's in the Library of Congress, she talks about how her mother uh, took the beating that the slave master's daughter was going to whip her and her mother said, don't whip her with me. And so, you know, so those are just some of the stories that people, you know, are sharing and don't want to talk about because it's just too painful, too painful. Charles, what do you know about um, any of the enslavers in your own ancestry? I'm sorry, one, one more time. What, 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 tell about what, what story, interesting stories do you have about the enslavers in your family? Well, um, my, the Patterson family in Shelby County, Alabama, basically in the Montevallo area, they um, found out that basically they were, they were sold, uh, they were purchased from a plantation in the um, outside of Richmond, I can't think of the name of the, of the county, but it was a coal mining area. So they were at the other Virginia plantation, they were mining coal and they were sold to the plantation in the in Montevallo area to mine coal. And it's still a coal mining community. And even to this day, I have lots of coal miners and family. And uh, another interesting thing, there was uh, someone with the same name as Patterson popped up as a DNA match. And because I, I noticed that that family on the census form, I think for 1860, there were, that looked like there was a space uh, age-wise for the kids where they're shipping an child in there somewhere. So there was a child, a child missing or a child died. And it turns out that I guess the, maybe the uh, neighboring plantation did not have enough men on the family. So they bought one of the sons. And it was this son's family that had gone to the other plantation that I was, that was at that new DM, DNA match. It was one of his sons. And I just thought that was just this fast. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, just for our listeners, you're listening to Intentional Talk Radio Network. And we're talking about unraveling the damages of white supremacy. And we're talking about in search of our African roots. Tonight, today, this afternoon, wherever you're listening from, we have... Uh, myself, Dr. Maurice Franklin, and we have two guests who happen to be my cousin. We have uh, David Anthony Taylor from Wisconsin, and we have Charles Ball from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, one interesting story, and it's here in Oklahoma. You know, I live in New York City, but um, hey, I, you know, hey, I'm hey, born David. and raised in Oklahoma. David, excuse me. I'm sorry, not David. Uh, Maurice, uh, I apologize for interrupting. Um, I forgot to mention to you that the this. Other child that was sold to the other plantation, he ended up in the same living in the same area in Alabama, in, you know, near Birmingham, and then he and then he eventually ended up living in moving to Oklahoma, to Oklahoma City, and I have no indication that there was ever any inter interaction between the Patterson that that I, that I knew and and that Patterson family, even though they were living in the same community. So I'm still still you know trying to do research to see if anybody anybody that I in my immediate family has ever heard of this other Patterson. So what, we'll, what, we'll, what we see, and I think we see quite a bit of that just between um, our 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 connections, is that there is um, there are some relations between you know the Marengo uh, 
of area of Alabama, um, eastern borders of Alabama, uh, even to the Mobile and parts of eastern the eastern parts of Mississippi and Oklahoma, because of uh, of the tribal areas that were there and the enslavement of through the tribal areas. So I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, many of the towns uh, in Oklahoma uh, and in Alabama and Mississippi share, you know, Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Creek names, many of them do, you know, in terms of the root of those things, those cities. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Pattersons uh, in Alabama and the Birmingham area have some connection to those Pattersons here. And they may not even know it, but 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 we, those are the things that we are unraveling, that we're beginning to unravel. My, my third great grandmother, um, who also came from the Mississippi, Alabama area, uh, lived up around that area that you were, that you were describing. And and some of the stories that, uh, that I've read about her and when she, in her own words, talks about traveling from one part of Oklahoma to another part of Oklahoma, um, led me to meet somebody, um, European descent, at a gym with a, with a similar last name that my, my great-grandmother had. And for almost a month, it was just uncanny. I, think, I said, I think this person is related to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and David, they invited me to the to their to their ranch, um, you know, because they're um, a green grocer. They're growing produce and you know, shipping to the local restaurants or farm the table. And when I got out to the ranch, and I was with my mother, and I just felt like something washed over me, you know, like I felt my ancestors had been on this land before. <laughs> before. And so I smiled, and we kind of talked, you know, for a little while. Well, then I came back home to do a little bit more research because I needed to figure something out. And so the next time I saw them, I said, I think we're related. Did you ask your father if he, you know, he said, it's possible we could be related. And uh, so uh, I'm not surprised. There are going to be, we'll find many, many connections uh, between, um, and not just Alabama or Oklahoma, it could be New York. And we've been migrated in, in the slave trade and, and the way that, you know, males were bred and females were bred, their, their children, uh, have been sold and resold in uh, all parts of uh, the, this, the, the, the continental United States. So it would not surprise me. We are about four minutes before we take a break. So I'm going to uh, go around the room really quickly and, and, and hear from both David and Charles again, and we're going to get into a break. But David, I wanted you to talk some, spend some time talking about uh, the sons of the American Revolution. If you could briefly talk about, take about a minute and a half or two minutes to talk about uh, what you're working on with that? Well, um, first I want to say I love all my white cousins and black cousins. It's <laughs> <laughs> equal across the board because some people don't realize some of my white family members are closer DNA matches than some of my black family members. But I just love them all to that. So anyway, about the DAR, I actually applied for the DAR. I had all my paperwork in order. I had all my um, dates, my slave records, DNA, everything. And um, I had probate records, everything that you could possibly imagine. I have another white family member that's from that same line. And she says, she's in, D she's in the DAR. I was, I mean, she's in the, yeah, DAR. I was going for the um, SAR, which is the Sons of the Revolutionary War. The DAR is the daughters. So I, um, she's looked at my application. She said, everything looks good. We're family members, no problem. So when I put my application in, the person that looked at it, because it started at the lowest level, he said, everything looks right here. 
Um, but you don't have anything saying that this person is his daughter. And I was like, but I've got all the DNA. I've got everything that you asked for. And said, sorry, maybe next time. So <laughs> you kind of got to look, uh, but you can also just, I'm in Michigan. Maurice, you always said in Wisconsin. I don't know why oh, you, all the time. It's cold. It's cold wherever you are. But I'm in Michigan. It's cold. So, uh, I can, I can also reapply in a, a different state because they were enslaved in Georgia. So I can apply in Georgia as well. But so you don't necessarily, you can run through some, um, trials and tribulations. You can get frustrated, but you just don't give up. You just got to keep trying, keep plugging away. So speaking of that, you know, we're going to uh, go into the next hour and talk about reparations. We're about two minutes into the break before we go into the break. So I'm going to just uh, just mention a couple. So, David, you talked about the sons of the American Revolution and the daughters of the American Revolution. But there's also Sons and Daughters of the Middle Passage. That's a, a organization for uh, individuals who can show ancestry to, uh, uh, and I hate to say this, but to the boat, <laughs> to, to be able to, to have an enslaved parent. And so... Uh, for those of us who, who, who are freedmen, and it's a much easier uh, route for because we hear those we hear those stories in our ancestors' own words. They say, in in these Dawes records, who their who their enslaver was. And so, for for certain individuals, it's a much easier route to 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 join that particular organization. Uh, uh, so those are. Three things. We're going to talk about reparations as we get into the next hour of discussion. I'd like to thank both my, uh, I'll call them my co-hosts and my cousins, David and Charles. I want to thank you. We got about another hour of this. And so, and we also want to thank, um, Intentional Talk Radio for hosting this conversation tonight about white supremacy in search of absolutes. So I don't think we can actually really, really fulfill that conversation without talking about reparations. So we're going to start within the next hour of talking about reparations. At this moment, we're going to take it away for a break and to talk about some sponsors. We have to get the bills paid right now. So uh, thank you. And we're going to go back to uh, commercial break right now. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Franklin and Charles Ball and David Anthony Taylor. This is most interesting. And I'm so glad that you're here with us. This is the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And folks, don't forget, we're celebrating Juneteenth all weekend long. And we're also celebrating Black Music Month. And if you were joining us at 530, you heard the real good Black music. That's why we're celebrating Black Music Month. So stay tuned. We've got more to come with Dr. Franklin and his relatives, his panelists. So don't go away. We've got some commercials that we're going to run. We're going to pay some bills. And we will be right back. This is the Intentional Talk Radio Network. This is where we talk to you, for you, with you, and about you. And it is all good. That's why Dr. Franklin and his panelists are here. Thank you very much. Stay tuned.
The 37th Annual Kingdom Day Parade is on Monday, June 20th at 10 a.m. till 12 noon to coincide with the national holiday, Juneteenth, also known as Jubilee Day, National Independence Day, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, and Black Independence Day. The parade will begin at Western Avenue and King Boulevard, travel to Crenshaw Boulevard South to Lamert Park for the Juneteenth celebration. The Kingdom Day Parade is the longest-running MLK parade in the country and getting bigger and stronger and better every year. This year's Grand Marshal is Congresswoman Karen Bass. The parade was inspired by legendary music mogul Stevie Wonder, who also campaigned all over the country in 1982 to create a national holiday in the name of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The Grand Marshals in the past have been Vice President Kamala Harris, Mayor Eric Garcetti, the Jackson 5, Chief Bernard Parks, Senator Diane Watson, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and the former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa and former Governor Jerry Brown, and also the pennant-winning Los Angeles Dodgers' Dave Roberts. The parade has been a staple in Los Angeles since 1983. The parade will be televised by ABC Channel 7 and hosted by Leslie Sykes and Rachel Brown. They will provide the live broadcast of the Kingdom Day Parade. This is our 37th year of the parade in the City of the Angels, Los Angeles. Join us, be there, and celebrate Juneteenth with the 37th annual Kingdom Day Parade. This broadcast and all of our other broadcasts on itrnradio.com. You can also get us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Stay tuned. We're on YouTube. You'd be surprised where you can find us. Join us right here, itrnradio.com and all of your favorite podcast platforms. It's time for Dr. Franklin. David Anthony Taylor, and Charles Ball. This is a wonderful conversation. Dr. Franklin, let's go. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the second hour of our conversation on unraveling the damage of white supremacy in search of our African roots, our African ancestry. Again, here on Intentional Talk Radio Network, I'd like to thank our host for inviting us to talk about something that we're all so passionate about, uh, our ancestors and our history and search of identity. We want to 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 share the being kings and queens. And of course, we know that everybody in Africa was not kings and queens. But but the spirit of feeling empowered, being that lion or lioness, the warrior, war you know, warrioress. We want to we want to have a group and a community where people feel prideful about who they are and about their identity. Uh, Marcus Garvey, who's one of my heroes, said that he would, that, that, that maybe in order to die, sometimes we might have to, might have to fight for something we believe in. I mean, that, that death might be that honor. And so uh, as we, you know, shift into talking about, you know, some political conversations around genealogy, I want to, to start with just um, sort of a, 
a reflection from my cousin, Buck Colbert Franklin, as he watched the Tulsa riots and the massacre. I don't even want to call it a riot. It was a massacre. They dropped bombs as uh, the Gap Band, who were Creek Indians, would have said they dropped a bomb on me uh, in fact, during that time period. But what he talked about when he talked about those World War II veterans who were not afraid to die as they, as they marched to that jail to, uh, to defend this young man who had been falsely uh, accused. He says, and I'm going to say this in the voice of, of his son, John Hope Franklin, it's the proudest moment I ever felt. You know, they were, they were not afraid. They were winning. They were defending our community. Then they dropped these bombs. And so uh, as we begin to shift the conversation around reparations and about um, sort of how we remedy the, the you know, the sort of these, these this horrible genocide that was impacted on a group of people, this middle passage, these millions of people that were brought into this country illegally, you know, we, we start to talk. And I first you know, thought about reparations, and I know that there are several bills that have come through um, Congress around reparations. Uh, as I began to do this DNA, I said, my God, I'm having to spend all of my money you know, first, you know, to pay for a test and then pay for uh, a service to house, you know, my ancestry list and then pay for, you know, and then if I don't pay, then I may lose this information. So uh, in my talk, one of the first, you know, steps around reparation is, the, is you know, the ability to uh, create um, institutions that have the resources that can help. Uh, or these communities uh, begin to unravel uh, or <laughs> untangle all of these all of these um, horrible challenges that we're having in terms of tracing our own ancestry. It, it, we shouldn't have to pay someone in Utah, an organization in any other part of the country, for that matter, uh, to, for information about our own families. And so, um, for me, that is a, that it, that would be the first step in reparations. You know, resources funded organizations, the funding researchers, you know, sort of a collective throughout the country associated with universities and colleges, black HBCUs, preferably, to help us begin to unravel, uh, uh, you know, this horrible genocide that was placed on our, on our community for over 402 years. So, so that is, for me, my first request. <laughs> That's got to be the first thing that we request around reparations. Um, Charles, or or, or David, what are your thoughts about that? And, and uh, I just, uh, as we uh, open this up, I want to ask our host if she wants to uh, talk about this as well. Um, so, so Charles. Maurice, you know, 100 years or so ago, you know, you had the meeting in Niagara Falls where you had E.B.D. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington having this, you know, very intellectual conversation about the future of Black America. And, of course, they had different philosophies about how to proceed. And if I had to, I guess, say what I felt like was should be the highest priority as far as, you know, how do we heal, heal our community, heal, heal our, heal our people. I think, I think we're overdue for another meeting in Niagara Falls, a new meeting with the, with the greatest black minds, not the showboaters, but the people, great thinkers that actually know how to get things done, not just intellectuals, People care and know how to get things done. 
and uh, and then you basically have a you have a hit list of like the the top five things that we that we need to do within our own community to, to advance to advance the community. And so money, money, I just don't think money is the most important thing or the lack of, lack of it as far as why, why, why we are where we are as a race in this country. So I know that's a contrarian thought, but that there it is. Now I'll respond to that in a minute, but I'm going to let David respond first and then I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to you, Charles. So David? Well, for me, I think before we actually start thinking about, um, before we start thinking about that, I think we need to start doing the research to try to find our enslaved ancestors first, because when they talk about reparation, they're going to say, well, how do we know that all of your family wasn't free? So you're not going to, you know, you we're going to have to prove, you know, this, we're going to have to prove our ancestors were enslaved initially, even to begin with, because they'll get, people are going to say, well, no, your ancestors, you are all free. So we're not, you don't, you don't really count. So by doing the research, and I think it, it takes a village to do it. We you can't do it by yourself. But I think that's the first step we need to do. But I'll go on. I'll let you say what you got to say. But that's my, <laughs> I think. There are some global conversations around, um, you know, what does it mean to be of African descent, or African-American descent, or enslaved descent in this country? So, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily going to weigh in on that. I do think there are, you know, uh, some uh, important points, uh, uh, points on both sides around the impact of institutional racism and colonialism and how it's impacted, you know, people of the diaspora all over the world. And so that's one discussion point around that. And, and I agree with you, David, that there, that, you know, sort of identity and, and understanding your history is important, not, not as a political, uh, uh, but even as a political point, you know, how can you, how do you prove it? But I, I'm not even at the proof point right now. I'm just, you know, saying that even as we get to reparations, resources need to be, have been allocated, you know, <laughs> you know, just to help enslave, you know, just as, just as resources, uh, are in, that are funded in, in highly impacted, you know, communities, they call it enterprise zones, Charles, you know, you know what that is. And, um, but we should also be looking at how we can do that within the African American community, funding HBCUs and college and universities and research and resource and research centers to To help these individuals, there shouldn't be just sort of this close community of of family genealogists, of which David, you and I, and Charles are all part of that group. And and you know, and we happily get together on Friday nights, and you know, with Dr. Shelley at the, from the University of Virginia and others, and we'll be on you know for hours, you know, trying to get through our brick walls. And and yet, even with Maggie and the work that they do in helping, you know, genealogists and individuals who are interested in Understanding the kind of tools Maggie is the Midwestern Alliance uh, genealogy, and I, I don't know the rest of it, but it's again, it's not enough, you know, for a loose group of people uh, who, who in some cases are, you know, struggling and working through their own brick walls to then have to take on other individuals when we're all, you know, trying to get to the same place. So if there were some funded entities, individuals, or institutions that were funded to begin to look at, you know, these kind of groups that we talk about. Charles? Maurice, you, uh, one of the things I, I, used to, I thought about the entire time we were having the uh, Black Lives Matters uh, marches, protests, was the fact that, no one, I was 
And this sort of relates to the other recommendation concerning the, the uh, meeting in Niagara um, need for a new one. It's the fact that so you had these young these young people that compelled you know young people all over the country to have these demonstrations. And I was wondering, well, what's the so what what are they what what are the end goals other than just you know disrupt, disrupting traffic and uh, making a lot of folks anxious? Uh, I mean, what do you what do you hope to accomplish you know, at, at, after the marches are over? And then when I, I when you had the um, so many black businesses that were actually damaged or destroyed um, when in some in some communities, I, I said, well, you know these these guys that organized these. It actually raised money to give to those businesses that were that were damaged or destroyed, and to try to make them, make them whole again. But they chose not to. But they they had the they had the power, they had the potential or the ability to to do that if they if they if they want. So but the conversation that, we can do other things like that, you know. Well, Dr. King says, you know, protest is a voice for the voiceless. And so, you know, sometimes those things that happen out of that, you know, are, you know, as a result of, you know, the sort of the systematic oppression and rage. So things happen. You know, I'm not here to support, you know, you know, us going into coming into our own communities and destroying our own communities. And I'd never support that um, as a as a as the casualty of protest or the uh, casualty of civil disobedience. You know, however, you know, those things did occur. We as veteran, you know, uh, individuals who have, you know, been involved in movement or social justice, uh, we need to work closely with, you know, even the young protesters. But I, I do, you know, believe that, you know, in their time, you know, we were once that age and, and disruptors. You know, I consider myself a disruptor to this day. And so uh, there are sometimes that, you know, there are things happen and that is, you know, uh, you know, uh, wakes people up, as, as I would suggest, and and as a part of that, you know, perhaps there's a there are new strategies that people will begin to take us more seriously around our demands. Well, well, Maurice, I guess the point I was making is that is that I guess I'm disappointed that all of all that energy was not challenged into something else, a next thing that they could work on that 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 would have maybe had a tremendous payoff for you know all of our communities, and that moment has been lost now. I don't know. I don't, you may not see that evidence in your region, perhaps, but I do see that evidence among young social justice activists. I mean, to, to, you know, I see the evidence. We saw, you know, records turn out and vote. So that's one indicator uh, of some success of the movement over this. You know, we got, you know, we were able to get, uh, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a harmful person out of office. I don't, I'm not sure if we got, uh, we got at least harmful person in office right now than the one we had for certain. Uh, okay. And so that is some evidence, you know, that it's something, uh, Dr. Carr from uh, from Howard University said something, uh, I guess, about this time last year, and I've just latched onto this idea. He says that, that uh, African Americans that, that, that we always vote for the person that's going to harm us the least. <laughs> you know, and so that, you know, in terms of our own activity and activism, and I, I thought about that for a minute, I paused, and I said, hmm, uh, you know, I, I kind of do agree with that, that thinking that, you know, we are active in that, in that regard. But I, you know, but I think that as a, a as a form of reparation, you know, in terms, in the political strategy, certainly, um, can we, do we agree around this, around this panel that, 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 that is a, a, should be a discussion that we continue reparations 
for the for the for the 400 and you know odd years of systematic racism in this country. Well, is that a, yes, yes, from you, Charles. No, it's it's a uh, I'm not sure yet uh, because I guess as a you know if you if you just think about American history, you have these actions, you have a re, uh, reaction, equally strong reaction. And the best best example of that was the election of uh, Barack Obama, and then you had the powerful reaction to that. So I, I guess I'm not saying I'm not I am not saying that, that we should not have reparations, but what I am saying is be prepared for the reaction to the reparations that, that we would also have to deal with at probably so, levels. So David, yes or no? Should we have rep- is is that an important? Is it important yeah, enough that you would fight for it? Yes. I'm just going to say uh, that. I'll do it. <laughs> so, Charles, we're going we're gonna to say you're outnumbered on this particular question. But I hear your contrary view because you're, you're, you're thinking about the impact. You know, but look, you know, if, if we have to think about the impact, let's just think about the 167, the 250 years of, 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 of servitude that, that, our, that, our, that our ancestors put up with. So what and what came out of that? The Black Code when they were free. There were the Black Code. There was you know Reconstruction period. There was Jim Crow. I mean, so so if anything, you know, in terms of being prepared, I think that we live we live defensively daily, and so we you know we walk out of our door prepared for the ramifications of white supremacy every day. So you know if that means that you know whether it be forty acres and that was promised. You know, uh, or or some other form of financial, uh, you know, uh, 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 remuneration for the for the number of years that our families suffered. Uh, I think that we've already uh, we've already taken the hit uh, and the impact of you know white supremacy. Look at our neighborhoods now. Look at, you know, I'm sure in Birmingham there's a whole redlining that's happening. That's why the banks are uh, you're having to give money back to communities, uh, in black and brown communities, because they've systematically locked us out with these high interest loans and, you know, and, 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 and poor neighbor and poor neighborhoods. Look at how, you know, substance abuse clinics are put up in our neighborhood. It's the same kind of schematic that we see. So are we not already suffering from the impact of white supremacy? No, well, um, we'll see that that's going to lead, lead into a discussion about, uh, so now that we have, Americans in these leadership positions and leading these silly cities who in many cases actually uh, uh, seem to have as much contempt for the, the African-American residents as their predecessors. What do you do about that? How do, how do we change that? You know, we, we have these, our ancestors made these sacrifices to help us get into these positions and then we get in there and we are, we are, we are as bad or worse and the people that we replaced, and we don't we don't like to talk about that. That's the truth. That is the truth, and we have buried our heads in the sand on that. And, I, and you can drive through just about any of our cities and see it. So, so how do we? How do we? How do we? I'm gonna I'm gonna say look at look at the Washington would say. How do we pull our boot, bootstraps up and turn that mirror around towards ourselves? And actually admit that, you know, we're, we're just doing an awful job in a lot of places. And then how do we change that? 
How do we show I, I, our I kids would, the right the right way to do these things, right ways to lead, and not just try to and not also you know to, how do we show them not to start taking advantage of their own people the way many of our leaders are you know now and have in the past. So. So Charles, I know that you know there's some examples of the opposite examples, and you know you talked about the book. They're in the minority. So what? They're in the minority. That's not, that, that would be an exception. To have What's the exception? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just making very, I'm making very broad statements, and and I guess I can only go by I guess what I've observed over the last, you know, last almost one years. And the fact okay. I'm, I'm a neurotic and I just see everything. And some of these things I wish I couldn't, I didn't see. I wish I could unsee these things, but I can't. Uh, all of the way I see it. Well, David, I'm going to let you jump in. And then, I, David, don't, don't be afraid to jump in during this conversation going back and forth. So I want to pull you in right now. No, I think you two are, you two, you, you said no. <laughs> stay out of this. You know when okay, to well, fight your me... battle. That was good. Well, let me just say one more thing, Charles, and and I and I want to and, and, and please please by all means, I want you to you know I, we can go talk to this conversation. Um, so yes, there are some examples, you know, and you know uh, Carter G. Woodson talked about it, and the black bourgeoisie and E. Franklin Frazier talked about it, and we, there are plenty of examples of of um of where where individuals have been poor stewards within our community, but there are equally more just just as many examples or more examples of people who are uh, as I would say, um, you know, as, as WB says, coming back into the community to help build up the nation. Since you mentioned the two of those conversations, I think that they both were, you know, talking about um, how we build our community. Perhaps they have different philosophies and methodologies of how we get there. And certainly, you know, the, you know, slavery and 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 I keep saying slavery and white supremacy, but you know, meaning. For me, what does that mean? That means, you know, having power and using power uh, and influence uh, systematically over a group of people. Uh, a dear friend of mine calls it the white supremacy myth. Uh, he calls it that because if you think about black and brown people globally, you know, we have been in the majority globally for a long time. So in some ways it is, you know, we would just stand up and, and, and say who we are and not be afraid. And that it would be true. That we, that we are equally as powerful. So sure, if, you know, whatever city you live in, uh, I happen to live in Harlem and I feel, you know, powerful, whether or not I'm in Harlem or here in Oklahoma, I feel powerful. But ethical, ethics is what you're talking about. Individual ethics and responsibility and responsibility to the community. That's, you know, those are examples that are not, uh, particularly, uh, centrally located within communities of color. They happen throughout, you know, the spectrum of ethnicities and racial identities. So I think that when we, you know, uh, have this conversation and point in that direction, that we're actually um, buying into this myth, this, this myth that white folks have about black folks. Uh, no, no, that that no. they are the standard around community care and that that we are the the standard around uh, uncaring for the community. I don't think we should. That's I don't. That's not a narrative I embrace. Uh, what I am saying is that because of our history and what and what things that, that were done to us, uh, there is a a tremendous responsibility for any of us in leadership positions to not turn around and do the same thing to our own people. 
and we're and we are doing that. That's that's what we're doing, and, and that's that's just not that's not an exception. We're doing it in a lot of places, um, and, it's, and it is sounds like all. You know, and that's just that's just where I see it. You know, we're 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 just not holding ourselves to a, 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 to the high standard that we should. And considering that the sacrifices that were made to, to get us in these positions. Well, we have a question. Uh, we have a question. Uh, uh, so, the, uh, and, and this is just going to get us back. We're going to go back to ancestry for a minute. The question uh, that's coming from uh, the chat is: Has any of us? Have anybody in this panel done African ancestry to date? David, have you done African ancestry? No, I have not. We just had a discussion about that last night in on Freedman Friday with Dr. Uh, Murphy, and um, we actually had someone that is that's their field of study. And from what I understood is that the testing that they do, I'm not sure exactly what term she used, but let's. I'm going to just say Cinemorgue. It's just this is not. It's not actually the term, but that's something that everybody can understand. So. A and a cinnamorgan is David. Not, so no, 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 no. I'm not even. I'm not. Even, I'm not even going to say cinnamorgan because <laughs> you, you give me. I'm. I'm not. A, that's not my area. <laughs> right, right, right. So basically, uh, with that testing site, they use like eight um, groupings. Six, yeah, they use eight something. I don't know what she called it. It was like I said. It was technical for me. But with all the other, um, like with family tree DNA, it's like 800. And you basically, you know, they're not giving you what you're paying for was was what I understood. And I've heard that from many people that were in the genealogy field. That's a lot more knowledgeable than I am. And um, they were just basically saying that it's not um, something to do unless you want to try to get a certificate saying that, you're from a certain part of a region of the country and you want to seek citizenship. Other than that, they were like, you know, it's not really going to help you as far as genealogy wise. So, so I was, I was a part of that discussion last night. So again, as I mentioned to all, all, all of the listeners on YouTube, and again, thank all of you who are listening tonight. We're here with, uh, my cousins and my friends, um, David Anthony Taylor and Charles Ball from Birmingham. Charles is from Birmingham, and David is not from Wisconsin. He's from Michigan. <laughs> I got that right tonight, right now. Um, so, there, so there are, um, and through African ancestry, and I've not done the test, but I, I do plan on doing the test. It's a little more expensive than um, uh, ancestry DNA and uh, the other tests. However, uh, it, it's based on a particular group uh, and called Halop groups. And these groups uh, can go back thousands and thousands of years and, and also sort of trace sort of the migration of, of sort of your DNA group throughout the continent, even into the U.S. So in that regard, it kind of places sort of your mitochondrial DNA in certain regions of, of, of Africa and throughout. But I have not done that test, but I, I certainly plan on doing it. I'm not looking for a certificate, but I, I would be looking for just additional information to, um, Support, you know, my own family research. Charles, have you done African ancestry? I have not. I, I do think it's important a test to do, uh, and I say that because uh, it is just another tool, and it gives you a, additional information. It's just like David is using oh, probably thirty or forty different tools to do his research, and so so for me, it's just adding another tool that gives me just a little additional information about my my DNA. Um, 
I see that my Angel James is commenting on YouTube. She's she say Angel Dr. Angel James, let's be clear, my cousin. Uh, our cousin, she states individual levels especially cannot explain long-standing historical structural power imbalances. Individual level explanations cannot explain long-standing. So Angela, since you're asked, can you can you clarify just a little bit more, say a little bit more about that? Um, and I'm glad that you're here tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, the these these various tests, um, and there are a lot of different tests uh, that you could take. Uh, it, 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 you know, if you are or have started some form of research, I would say start with, you know, these sort of these these that are advertised. If you feel comfortable taking the test, uh, it's not. It wouldn't be enough just for you to take the test. You know, it'd be really more helpful if you have siblings uh, to, to get them tested because that gives you. We get a piece of our, our our various ancestors' DNA. I don't have all my mother's DNA. All my father's DNA. I have a little bit of their DNA and their parents and grandparents. And so it's kind of spread all, out all over. And so the more siblings or relatives that you can get to be tested, it kind of fills out some of those questions. And it also um, helps you to, you know, as you meet others, you know, I'm lucky that I've, you know, meeting Charles and David, and David has all these different groups uh, of, uh, of family groups and that, he, that, that he's hosting that meets on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays and different throughout the week. And we participate in groups that meet uh, pretty much as something meeting every day, individuals. But it it really helps you, uh, it gives you more information that you can share as we call triangulate. The ability to kind of to compare your DNA with a sibling's DNA with, um, against others. So you could sometimes know whether or not this individual that you think you're related to or that you're related to through DNA are they coming through your mom or your father's side? And, and so it, it, the more that you can test, uh, it helps give you some additional information. Maurice, Charles. Yeah, yes, this is a, on a somewhat related note. Um, David and I were having a conversation about uh, wiki trees uh, earlier and uh, before the program started. And, and, I, and I have never heard of the bells of that. So, and, and he's just dying to, make the, to, to tell you all about that. David, please talk about WikiTree. Okay, I will. <laughs> the reason why I think WikiTree is so important is because me, myself, I'm doing all this research, and I, from time to time I think about what's going to happen if something happens to me tomorrow. What's going to happen to my research? Who's going to take over? Because right now the younger generation, they're, they don't seem to be um, really interested in it. And some of the older family members, they're like, you guys do it. I'm not computer literate. It's not my thing. So what I started doing was I, um, Dr. Shelley had said a couple months ago, she said, you know, more people of color need to start putting profiles on a wiki tree. And I was getting wiki tree, um, confused with Wikipedia, two different things. And I was like, it doesn't, why am I wasting my time? But then as I started thinking, as I'm searching for my white ancestors, it would always take me to WikiTree. And so then I, I said, okay, so Dr. Shelley says to do this. She's, you know, she's my go-to person. And she says to do it, I'm going to follow her instructions. So I started creating WikiTree profiles for months. And by doing so, um, some of the white family members that I have 
like Darlene Hicks that's on here, she contacted me. She said, I think your great grandmother that was a slave, I'm related to you guys. So people are seeing it. Another incident where I joined um, Facebook groups that were in the location that my ancestors were enslaved. And I said, hey, do you guys know any of the plantations to a certain um, one of my ancestors? And like four people in that group, in that week, in that um, Facebook group, they sent me to WikiTree to my own research. And they were saying, this is the best place to go. They've got all this information. And I told them, thanks, but that's my own research. So there, people are researching and they're looking at it. And if I can share my screen, I'll show you the, uh, oh, let me see, can I do this? Share your screen. Okay, so I'll share my screen and give you guys just a quick view of what I do. So David, we- while you, while, David before you set up that, I just want to, to, to speak to those who are listening out on YouTube. If you'd put your names into the chat, just uh, we'd like to know that that you're that you're here. Many of our friends and family have joined us tonight. We'd also like you to go up and to subscribe to uh, Intentional Talk Radio Network. Help us build this network and help us to support you know black business. And so if you're if, if you're here tonight, uh, subscribe. If you like what we're doing tonight, you know give us a heart emoji or a like or let us know. We'd like to be able to do this and bring you. Uh, more content around genealogy and, and family history and, and invite others uh, uh, to this platform. This is a great space for us to talk about liberation and, and empowerment and, 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 and genealogy and family history. They, they've been doing this for a long time. And so we want to be able to support uh, those who are supporting us. And so please uh, click subscribe, like, and, and provide us some comments and feedback about what you like about what we're doing this evening. Uh, take away, David. <laughs> All right, thanks. So when I started doing this, I started from myself. And you don't necessarily have to start from yourself. So I built all the way up to, I tried to do one branch at a time. So this is my great-grandmother, Amelia Jamerson. And she married uh, Willis Carter. But on her profile, what I did was I list the census. So it shows all of her children's name, their ages, their sex, what they actually did at that time. And this is in the 1880 census. Then I, I show their marriage, her marriage record. I show the 1900 census. I show her children. I show which children were enslaved, which children were born free. This is her, de- her death certificate. Then I had some legal documents that my mother had. And so I put those on there because they actually, one of the documents here, it actually shows, it lists the name of all of my grand, my great-grandmother's siblings. So I'm able to use that. And let me go back one more page. So, and then you list your sources. And the good thing about Wikitree is you just can't put anything on there. You have to have a source for everything that you do, including images. So that was my great-grandmother. And then for my second great-grandmother, which was enslaved, um, my mother told me that I found the document that her last name was Taylor. Her name was Samantha Taylor. And I always thought her name was Taylor. And when I found her on the census, she was living next to a guy named James W. Taylor. And so I said, oh, wait, they mu- that must be her father. She's mulatto. He's white. She has property. It's like in the 1870s or 1880s. Where would she get this money from? Where would she get this land from? 
It was from her father, the white neighbor. They're both from the same location. They traveled. They were in the same areas all the time. Well, about a, last year or so, a couple people started, um, they emailed me and said, hey, I see that I'm related to you. Can you tell me how? And every time I looked at their tree, I kept seeing these Turners. And I said, I'm not related to any Turners because I know all my great, my second great grandmothers, the people that were enslaved, and none was Turners. There was a tailor. About a week later, I got another. Um, but this, the first person that emailed me, she had one of her grandparents as a white man named Jonathan Taylor. And I was like, okay, what's the chances on that happening? Then another person emailed me a week later and said, can I explain to them how we're related? Because we have a lot of high matches. And they had a white person on their, as their great, great grandfather named William Taylor. And I said, wait, hold up. All of these men couldn't have slept with the same slave that had all these kids. So I did more research and then I found that each one of these Taylor brothers had married a Turner sister. So it was three Taylor brothers married three Turner sisters. And so by doing that, um, I was able to make the connection that Samantha's last name was actually Turner and not Taylor. And how I did that, I found the enslaver, which was Samuel Parker Turner. And his wife was Sarah, Sarah uh, Rowe. And so my gr aunt, grandmother was enslaved. I was able to find, by researching the sisters, I was able to find a document showing that my second great grandmother, this was her here, her name was uh, Samantha Taylor. It says one Negro girl named Samantha willed to his daughter, Elizabeth R. Taylor. And to the cash in hand raised by the executor for the sale of cotton and corn since the death of the testor. And then it goes on to tell other Negroes that was in that, um, that they were their value. And then at the bottom, it talks about a feather bed. And it just keeps going on and on like this. So there's plenty of pages. So that was like, okay. Um, so I found her now, but I still didn't get why she wasn't at, at that time. I was like, wait a minute. I was putting the two and two together. I was like, James W. Taylor his name was, he was a tailor and she was a tailor, but she's not coming from him. She was, she was sold. I mean, she was willed to his wife. She was a Turner. And when she was willed to him, her last name changed because she had a new slave owner. And so I list all of his wills, probate records. I made a chart showing all of the uh, people that he had in his will and his probate record, the value that he had them listed as. Um, have documents when her children died, three of her sons, they actually list her maiden name, not as Taylor, but as Turner. Three different children. They were in different locations. So that made me say, okay, well, she was definitely a Turner and not a Taylor. And then I list, I list everything. So I, I was saying, well, I found her slave owner, the person that owned her, he was in, in Troop County, Georgia in 1880, but I was like in 1850, but I always thought she was in Georgia. I mean, she was in Claiborne Parish, Louisiana. Well, what happened was his wife was already there living with his half, with his, with the other uh, Taylor brother. So that's how they were there. I found three of his, um, land patents. He had got a land patent for 18, for 160 acres, 120 acres and 40.3 acres. This was all three Taylor brothers. They all got patents. This is all on the exact same day. 
This is not a little bit at a time. This all happened the exact same day. So that led me to say, okay, well, if they got um, patents in 1852, then my second great grandmother had to already be there. So, so, so David, let me um, just let, let, David, let me just stop you for a minute. Just to let the audience know, this is sort of the depth uh, of and of for passion and time. Uh, time is a resource in, in, in the sense of doing this genealogy research and just just these the level of documentation that David is talking about and his use of this tool. Um, uh, you know, it is. Um, I, I consider this like advanced degree work, but but this is this is uh, where um, this 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 if, you know if you have if you're passionate about it, it can take you to many different places uh, in terms of uh, uh, searching for your family. I think what 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 David is offering us in, in his description is uh, that the wiki wiki tree offers you a place to uh, keep your information forever. Exactly. And then he's also sharing with you um, uh, the kinds of documentation. But I don't I don't want people to, so it's important, the documentation is important and that he's able to find the documentation. But I, I don't want to discount sort of oral history and family traditional stories that get passed on because there's because there's that as well. So as as African-Americans, those are these stories that we know about our families are equal as equally important as the documentation that Davis finds. And you hit it on the nail because when you that oral history, that's when you also need to record it and put it on Wikitree in their bio because there are some instances, some things that could happen that you were told that like my family, a family member that I met um, on Ancestry, I didn't know them. I just said, oh, we, I think we're related to the Turners and the Jamersons. And so I was talking about some wells, I mean, yeah, some oil wells that was in, in Arkansas and I said, you know, my grandmother told me about this and told me about it. And she said she grew up hearing the same story, the exact same story. And we had never met. So that point, we were like really close cousins because we had heard the same story. So that is really important to document everything. And so uh, once again, I list all of her children that were born into slavery. I list events that happened while she was alive. I mean, while she was in Claiborne Parish. I show their marriage record. On her marriage record, this was the first document that I had gotten. And it shows her last name here is Taylor. And that's why I always thought she was a Taylor. But when I found her will. So David, I'm going to jump in again because I, 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 you know, I think we're getting in the weeds a little bit, but I do want to share with individuals that when you, when you, no, 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 this was great, but I want, I, I want, I don't want anybody to get overwhelmed as we share this information and I'm getting so many people telling us that they're watching. I'm getting just people sending me text messages. So thank all of us who are watching us tonight. tonight. And again, a quick like, uh, share, uh, uh, join the, the join, uh, intentional talk radio, subscribe, uh, to the network. Uh, they're doing some great things, but what, what David is, 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 is and I want to, 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 as you begin your research, you know, your, your parents, the documentation, your grandparents, you know, it's, it's not enough just to know and be able to sort of the oral history. That's important. That is extremely important, but begin to document, get the documentation. Uh, we have the 1950 census that was just released, uh, uh, about six weeks ago. So there's, 
information on perhaps some of our, our parents or grandparents, uh, family members that we can find that, but there's the 1940 census, there are um, social security, military records, there are um, uh, school records, um, there are uh, marriage uh, records that may appear in the newspaper, there's uh, obituaries, uh, there are family pictures that you may have or grandparents might have. Um, I, I used to be so upset that when I would come home because my mother uh, collects everything. And I mean, when I say everything, I mean everything. But as I got older and uh, when I see certain things, I'm just, I smile because these are all documents and records that are chronicling, you know, her children's life and the brothers and grandparents. And, and so look at these documents that are in your, in your home. Uh, or in, in relatives' home. Look at those documents, and uh, and and you know if you you know take a picture of them or scan them or find a way to to save these records. It's uh, uh, all of it is this history. It's part of your family history. But that's again sort of those I don't want breadcrumbs that will lead you to more information about your family. Uh, Charles, do you have uh, some information to share with uh, with your own family in search? You're on mute. Charles, you're on mute. Okay. Uh, the, the aunt I was telling, telling you about, she, um, when she did her research, she did it, did it all the old fashioned way. So she, you know, she went to the courthouses and she went to the, uh, uh, cemetery, looked at the headstones and, um, would review, you know, family in the family Bible she could get her hands on. And uh, she actually, I don't even know if she knew about ancestry. Um, and so when she passed, uh, I have really did, I don't, I still don't have access to her records that she kept, uh, through her research, uh, after she died. Uh, so, so that's something that's, that's all, that's on the list of things to do is get access to what she had already done. And um, and a lot of it may be the same, some of the same information that I, that I already had documentation of, you know, through ancestry. But, but this is just this, uh, only one way to find out. So I'm going to have to go through all of her, you know, her, uh, her documents. So, Charles, when you do get that information, what are you going to do with it? How do you record it so that everybody else will be able to view it? Are you just going to put it on ancestry or... Are you doing a web page, or how are you going to share that with the public? Uh, I actually, now that you've uh, made us uh, familiarize us with uh, Wicked Trees, uh, that that may be an option. Uh, that would be that looks like that would be the an excellent place to you know to be able to store some of that documentation. Right, and like I said, for me, I don't have anyone. The family that I can pass on to my information is the family members that I've met through my research, like you, Maurice, uh, Dr. Shelley. I mean, I can go on and list names to people, and I'm thinking, who do who do I pass my information on to? Someone that'll appreciate it and will you know, and will put the information out because we always say, you know, we like for my white family members when I contact them, I don't beat around the bush. I say, hey, we know we're related through DNA. But do you have any slave records? Do you have any bills of sale? Do you have any journals? Do you have any documentation? Because we know we're family, but they may, they're going to have information we don't have. 
and it could be sitting right, you know, it could be sitting in their attic or in the desk drawer. So if you don't ask for it, sometimes they're not going to offer it or they don't even know what to look for. Because there's been some people that I've contacted and, and they, they're learning their information from me because they, you know, it's basically white privilege. There's no other way of saying it. Because if you tell, if, if one of my, if a white neighbor tells me, Hey, I'm related to George Washington, you just have to accept it. If you or I said that we need to show documentation, blood type, a picture of us standing next to him, you know, it, it, we got to go, we've got to go above and beyond to, to show that. And so, you know, some people say, well, I don't really like talking to my white family members, but in order for us to, uh, to find our information and, and to locate our history, we have to. And some of them, they're just excited to find out their cousins, our cousins, as we are to find out that they are cousins. You know, it goes back and forth. So, Dr. Well, David, I see that in the groups that I participate in with you. I absolutely see that, and you know, and I'm and I embrace that. I don't see that <laughs> within my own family research, though. But uh, but certainly the groups that I participate in with you, I do see that. I mean, David, I, I, um, it would be great if I could actually see some enthusiasm within my own immediate immediate family about some of the things I found. It's like when I bring something to my mother, it's like, oh, no, not another, uh, somebody else that we're related to. And so I, I call it, so I start calling six degrees of Charles Ball. Um, and, and it just, I guess it just, people are just, they, they sort of, you know, they, they sort of, and, um, it's just not the, the novelty is gone. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know what to do about that. Well, well, sometimes, like you were saying, if you got all this information, someone may not be interested because they may not know it. You know, when you find all this great information and you share simply, like we were saying, if you put it on a wiki tree page, something simple like that, and you go to your family Facebook page or whatever, and you just put that link in there. And then they may get interested because they may say, oh, well, I didn't know my family did this. I didn't know my family was uh, Chickasaw from Chickasaw Nation. They, they may not have even heard of that. But they may be able to tell you what size shoe LeBron James wear or what Beyonce eats for breakfast. But they can't tell you if their great-grandparents or their grandparents got a high school diploma or if they ever went to school or what grade they went to. So, you know, I, 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 I can even tell you that. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm literally about... 30 miles um, southeast of, of, of where my fam some of my family members originated from as they when they came into Indian territory and so you know so you know 34 miles uh, north <laughs> is where my mother's uh, and her father married and lived and so everybody that lived in that town I knew I was related to but when my mother moved, 34 miles south, you know, when we were children, I had no idea that everybody that lives in this town is also related to me. I did not know it until, uh, and I said, we, you know, I had some of my best fights <laughs> growing up with my cousins. <laughs> you know, we didn't even know we were related. And, you know, because again, the impact of, uh, again, I get back to, to slavery and, and how it separated our families and to, to have just really and so you knew that their, their 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 grandparents had to know that they you know because they came from the country, but they went different directions, and so their children uh, didn't even know who their parents or grandparents 
siblings were. It was just it, to me, it's it feels painful. You know, it's not so, it's not Ari, feel painful. It, it is painful. It's traumatic, actually. It feels traumatic. Marisha, you remember me telling you the story about how um, my family moved to this uh, community I grew up in in Birmingham in '64. Uh, to our knowledge, you know, we didn't we didn't have anything. There was no there were no one there was no there were no people there that we were related to that we knew of. And then you know, five six years ago, through ancestry, you know, I discovered that I was just surrounded by just distant relatives. Was around, and then found out that I had attended college. I had distant cousins all around me in college, and then uh, when I moved back to Birmingham 15 years ago, I, some of the you know the professionals, African American professionals I met, you know, after I moved back, actually been um, been to meetings with, come to lunch with, uh, about a dozen of them so far. I found out that I am distantly related to. And uh, now, now they have really, they, they, for some reason, they were not as enthusiastic about, about, um, finding that out as I was. And, but I'm, I'm trying not to judge them as, as you are, you and know, you know, Maurice, I advised me, have advised me to just sort of cut them to the slack. Well, you know, not not everyone called. wants to, you know, which I don't know the whole story. So, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, right. that's, that's well, well, I'm probably more of a Pollyanna or a glass was half full when it comes to that. But David, I think you and Charles both know this story. Sharon, our cousin Sharon's on the line tonight. So thank you, Sharon, for joining us. But Sharon lives in Mississippi and we just met in October, last October. David says, you have a cousin named Sharon. You're going to meet her. We guys going to talk and get together. And I had just come from a funeral in um, Chambers County, Alabama, a friend of mine. I went to his funeral and I was there. And while I was there, you know, the got to the cemetery and I'm feeling something very familiar about the lake and the grounds. And it's not because I get sad when I go to cemeteries, but it's something about that place felt familiar to me. And so I guess about 10 days later, here I am talking to Sharon and she's showing me how to use all these various tools. Have you looked at this county? Go to here, this county. And so she's telling me this and I decided to put in Chambers County, Alabama while she's talking. And in the middle of the conversation, she uh, it got quiet. She said, what's going on? I said, I think I just left my cousin's funeral. Because I see his family's last name listed all throughout the Chambers County that I'm related to. You know, and, 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 and of course, you know, that, that, you know, those are the kinds of things that are happening as, as we do our searches. We're, uh, finding some people who are really happy <laughs> to uh, be connected, like, you know, David and Charles and I, you know, we've known each other, oh, 14 months, <laughs> you know, and it feels like we've known each other forever. Uh, and uh, and that and, and some of us that we've known that live right around the corner from us, and, and, it's, and it's that, you know, but it's about, you know, passion, uh, our curiosity, and I, and I believe that it's, um, you know, that the ancestors perhaps, you know, anointed us in some ways, you know, that to be the ones that we, that our families were looking for, that we'd be, some, that somebody's coming, you know, as, as, you know, as John the Baptist said, it's not me, but somebody else is coming greater. And so a good little religious here, you know, Juneteenth, we're getting ready for a Sunday, but uh, the memorial service for our ancestors, but somebody else is coming. Somebody is coming greater than all three of us, you know, that we're doing this research and, 
you got, you know, as Angela says, uh, Dr. Angela, my cousin is saying, you got some amazing stuff going on, David, with your, with, with your, uh, with your, with the wicked tree, just amazing, phenomenal detail stuff that Charles, the, the same, you know, and, but, but we're planting these seeds and, uh, and putting together these records and documentation that someone who's even greater than us is going to come and even, you know, eclipse what we're doing, but be able to put our family back together. Um, you know, the story that we've tried to tell tonight is about um, uh, a, a, a family that has been separated, you know, through a, a lot of different circumstances throughout the globe. And, and as we now uh, are, are becoming more unified and more knowledge and we're and, and longing for history, that, that there's a connection between self-esteem and identity and, and culture, cultural affirmation, you know, to, you know, that's what the Intentional Talk Radio is about uh, affirming identity, uh, self-esteem, loving one another. And, and so I think that we've all heard tonight is, you know, some more um, ideas around how we use genealogy and these tools to uh, put our families back together. We have about uh, about eight more minutes, seven more minutes of, of showtime. Again, I'd like to uh, invite everyone that's watching us tonight to share. Uh, if you'd like to see uh, more uh, shows on genealogy, please write in and let, let us know. Put it in chat. Uh, we, we certainly like to invite more guests to participate and talk about their own research, um, any special projects that they're working on. Um, we we want to keep this going. This is not a, a one-off kind of show, and this is not a one-off kind of subject. This is, again, uh, something that, that we're passionate about, um, both Charles and and David has shared their passions and 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 their and, and, and the work that they're doing. This is, I believe, something they live, eat, sleep, and dream about every day. Uh, how many times I woke? Yes, uh, yes, Charles. Just, I was just thinking about. Um, I guess even though I, I, I don't get the reaction that I, I hope I hope to get sometimes when I find out I'm connected to people. Um, but this one instance, a few years ago, I had a young lady reach out to me that was looking for her father. And she said, based on um, our DNA, that it had to be a male um, in my, among, uh, had to be, he was, had to be related to a, a male relative. One of my male relatives had to be her dad. And so I put her in touch with my cousin in Cincinnati that does that does the genealogy stuff for that branch of family. And it turned out that she my aunts had moved there back in the forties and she had eight kids and one son and that, that one son was her father, her latest father. And so it was one it was one of those moments like um what's the, the movie that uh Denzel did with the young man that was in Boston Care. Uh I can't think of the name of it right now. But it was like that they embraced her, he embraced her. Uh my aunt, you know, she her grandmother that she had she'd never known. Uh she she embraced the rest of the whole family embraced her like I hope they would. And uh so that that just that one instance was, you know, validation enough for me to you know to, to be involved in this. So maybe I can, you know, help a few more people like that down the road. If I can help someone along the way, that's what you're saying. But I, but I won't say, I won't do that. Not tonight. 
Well, David, there's a question. I'm going to uh, get you to answer that question, and then I'm going to have some final words. I'm going to turn it back over to our, our host for this evening, Ms. Colette Williams. After the question, David, is uh, if you use WikiTree, uh, do you have to give them your DNA? That's the question. No, you don't have to give them your DNA at all. It's a free site. It doesn't cost anything. Um, you don't even have to put yourself on there. If you want to start a, a page with just your grandparents, you can start with anybody you want. It's not necessarily where you have to start from yourself and drill forward. If you say, well, I don't even want to do any one of my family. I want to do my husband's or wife, my wife, their grandparent, because I, they were a Booker Washington's neighbor. So you might want to record that. It doesn't necessarily, but you also at the same time when you're doing this, like I said, it's really good to have as much documentation as possible. If someone um, got hit in the head with a rock, I put it on there. If I have a record of saying it or if it's oral history, I put a thing and everything on there because sometimes the little things that you put on your on a person's a biography, um, another person can come along and say, oh, you know what? I've heard that same story before, or that makes me think about an, the, the story could have been changed Well, he got hit in the back of the head and, or he got hit while he was riding on a horse and you can make a connection. Well, David, I'm going to have to, we got three minutes left, so I'm going to have to cut you off because we, we all have a lot to share. <laughs> I, I, but thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I, I want to ask uh, our showrunner if we can put our at, uh, at, you know, our Twitters and our IGs in, in there. If that's, that may already be there. So if you want to know how to reach Charles or, or David Thanks. or myself, that's in there. Please. I'm going to, I want to thank, yes, Ms. Williams. Go ahead and put everything in the chat. Yes, please do that. Okay, and I, I want to thank our, our, our Intentional Talk Radio tonight for hosting us. And I'm going to turn it back over to Ms. Williams. I know we're running short on time. And so I do want to thank you. And I'm going to turn it back over to our host uh, and uh, executive producer, Ms. Colette Williams. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Franklin. I cannot thank you enough. Charles Ball. I cannot thank you enough. David Anthony Taylor, you guys are absolutely outstanding. And yes, in the chat and on YouTube, people have said, excellent, wonderful conversation. Excellent, great talk show. We've gotten accolades and this has been absolutely amazing. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for allowing us to have you on with your knowledge and expertise. It's really been a pleasure. We have to keep the conversation going. We've got to unravel what white supremacy has done. As we search for our African roots, we've got to unravel all of this. And we have not finished. We have not finished. So, Dr. Franklin, no, I expect to talk to you next week, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to part two. Absolutely. Wonderful. And it couldn't have come at a better time. Juneteenth. Freedom Day, Jubilee Day. Black I like to call my ancestors Melissa Prince. Go ahead. You keep talking. Absolutely. I'm just going to call my ancestors and praise my ancestors right there. Praise, 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 praise. That's what we want to do. Absolutely. So it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will continue this as Dr. Maurice Franklin has stated. And we will continue this with the experts who can bring us the information that we so desperately need. Thank you very much. You are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. Thank you for joining us. We will be back on Monday with the Juneteenth celebration. Thank you so very, very much. Dr. Franklin, great job. 
great job. Thank you very much. Have a good night, all. Be careful. Wear your masks. It ain't over yet. It will be. Great music. Great music. Perfect selection. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this. I'm so happy that we were able to do this. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. And uh, let's do this again whenever uh, um, you guys and we can get together to schedule this. Let's do it again soon. Okay. Sounds real good. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to go hug my mother and say goodnight to her. <laughs> okay. Right. Good night, y'all. Good night. It's so nice to come together to get together. The 37th Annual Kingdom Day Parade is on Monday, June 20th at 10 a.m. till 12 noon to coincide with the national holiday, Juneteenth, also known as Jubilee Day, National Independence Day, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, and Black Independence Day. The parade will begin at Western Avenue and King Boulevard, travel to Crenshaw Boulevard South to Lamert Park for the Juneteenth celebration. The Kingdom Day Parade is the longest-running MLK parade in the country and getting bigger and stronger and better every year. This year's Grand Marshal is Congresswoman Karen Bass. The parade was inspired by legendary music mogul Stevie Wonder, who also campaigned all over the country in 1982 to create a national holiday in the name of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The Grand Marshals in the past have been Vice President Kamala Harris, Mayor Eric Garcetti, the Jackson Five, Chief Bernard Parks, Senator Diane Watson, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and the former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa and former Governor Jerry Brown, and also the pennant-winning Los Angeles Dodgers, Dave Roberts. The parade has been a staple in Los Angeles since 1983. The parade will be televised by ABC Channel 7 and hosted by Leslie Sykes and Rachel Brown. They will provide the live broadcast of the Kingdom Day Parade. This is our 37th year of the parade in the City of the Angels, Los Angeles. Join us, be there, and celebrate Juneteenth with the 37th annual Kingdom Day Parade.